Welcome to Filmstrip, movie reviews presented by Continuous Play Podcast. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Nick. And this is our review of Twister, starring Helen Hunt, Bill Paxton, Jamie Gertz, Carrie Elwes, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Alan Ruck. Directed by Jan DeBont, released in 1996 on a budget of $92 million, grossed 494 plus at the box office. I mean, this was the summer tentpole hit, Nick, of 1996. I remember all of the hype for it and everything along those lines. It was a big deal. But I've only seen this movie twice. I saw it when it came out that summer, and I saw it a couple of days ago so we could do this review. And I I wonder why I never went back to it. So I, I assume you've seen this before. Oh, yeah. I've seen this many, many, many times. saw it in the movie theater as well. Um, <laughs> I remember uh, just seeing the poster in the movie theater lounge a lot where you see, like, the uh, the big, uh, you know, tornado back, you know, cardboard cutout thing, whatever you want to call it. And it had a pretty kick-ass trailer. Actually, the trailer, I think it was one of the first times that I can remember ever seeing a trailer where a scene in the trailer was not in the movie, where it was made just for the trailer. And that's when they're... Um, they're driving the truck and like a tire hits the windshield and cracks it. Like that never happens in the movie. Right, right. And there's so much about the production of this thing. I mean, Jan DeBont nearly killed Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton. He nearly blinded them the whole time they were shooting out in Oklahoma and, and Kansas and stuff. They, they had so much stuff going on. The budget started out at like 70 million, then it was 75, then it was 80, and then it went to 90 and then 92. I mean, they, there was a lot of money pouring into this thing from the production houses for sure. Cause it was Warner Brothers and Universal that, that got behind this thing. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was a big, big movie. I mean, this was, this was the, the nineties when the tentpole summer movie became the thing again where you felt like you had to have one every week, right? I mean, it started with like Independence Day a few years before, which we've reviewed before and then just kept ratcheting up. And I mean, we're in the midst of that now. It seems like it starts in May and it ends sometime in mid August. Every week huh. is the, starts the, in March now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the biggest movie of all time is supposed to come out. You know, 16 different times during the year or so. But I mean, this was a novelty too, though. I mean, you think now in, in the world we live in almost 20 years later, I mean, the Weather Channel has its own reality series. There's several other channels that do storm chasing and all of that. I mean, that's, that's a thing. I mean, that's, there's people that have grown up with that their whole life, but this was a novelty at the time. And, and I think it was a smart one to cash in on because I, you know, storms have always been a part of the film. We've used them I and mean, gone all the way to the Wizard of Oz, for goodness sakes. I mean, that, that's, replete throughout this one too, all the references but the fact that we finally got to the point effects wise they felt like they could pull this off uh i'm i'm surprised nobody tried it sooner uh you know and and maybe they had and i just don't know about it well it's it's kind of a it's kind of a throwback to the old uh movies i'm gonna say maybe 70s where you had stuff like um earthquake that came out and uh, what was the one with char was that maybe oh the, t- the towering inferno like you're talking the towering about the towering inferno you're talking about disaster yeah. movies yeah yes and they had all the uh, airplanes and this was kind of like a a new take on that i mean we're gonna get kind of uh i want to say kind of like a for, for a couple of years now i mean after this came out it was kind of like you get kind of movies like that where you had like armageddon and deep impact where it was almost like natural type, like inanimate objects or like nature or, you know, in that case, the universe attacking us. And that seemed to be kind of a little short lived, like three, four year thing where you had a lot of movies that come out that were almost like a redo of the disaster movies of the seventies. That's a great callback. I hadn't thought about it like that, but you're exactly right. And I mean, that's kind of our, our loosely strung together nineties series here. I mean, we've done the relic, which is, you know, things you don't understand and they, they come back and haunt you in the museum. And then we had Congo, which is science. You try to misappropriate for corporate greed and it, it, tries to murder you in the jungle as a gray gorilla and now it's you try to chase and understand the storm but the storm is is just as deadly and they get deadlier and deadlier and yeah i think i think that i think that should be maybe maybe this isn't a monster retrospective maybe this is science what a bitch 
That's not bad. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly right. But I think we do need to talk about our director here before we get into this thing, though. Jan DeBont. I, mean, I think most people will know him as the guy that brought us the original Speed, right? And he was a, a, a director of photography for a number of years. I think he worked with Rennie Harlan and several others, right? He worked for Roland Emmerich and that group, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's yeah, been around a lot. Very, they all feel very alike when you're bringing up those directors. It's kind of like a you know, flashy kind of meat and potato type movie. And it's still something that like, I just call them Saturday afternoon movies and speed. I forgot that he directed that. I actually forgot yeah. about that movie. And that's, well, that's actually a damn good movie. That is good. I mean, look, he shot the hunt for Red October and black rain and die hard. That's a die hard's a movie we've reviewed. I mean, I, you know, he shot basic instinct, believe it or not with Paul Verhoeven. I, mean, I, guess I, wish, you, I, I wish I would have shot that. Movie. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people wish they would have shot that for sure. And, but I mean, not, not only did he direct speed, he directed speed. Speed 2, uh, Cruise Control. So, uh, you know, and he did The Haunting you know, later, and he brought us one of the, the Lara Croft movies later in the 2000s. I mean, he's a guy that, that worked for a long time. He hasn't done anything in a number of years, but I guess because he started in the 70s. I mean, this guy worked forever as a, a cinematographer. As a matter of fact, he was the cinematographer for Cujo. I mean, so he shot a real variety of stuff. and But I, I think of him most for his single day frenetic action movies. I mean, you think about like Die Hard and Speed, the things that make those so cool. And this was the thing that kept getting repeated over and over in the nineties was you had this limited amount of time for this great thing to happen, which is we borrow from great action movies and then we, we mix it with our disaster movies. I think you've called out exactly right. And Mm -hmm. This guy was the guy to do it because not only could he make it look great and he could direct the effects and he could handle all of that stuff, but he would get it out on time. Now, he didn't necessarily get it out under budget, as we've already talked about, but the film was going to get done, at blind actors or not. I mean, he was going to make this thing happen. There are shots of Helen Hunt driving a truck wearing no purpose sunglasses at all because she nearly burned her retinas off because he had these bright lights out there so that they could you know, darken it later on and, and build dark darker skies because you know you know a little pull behind the scenes they didn't actually shoot in storms so you know that the the disbelief is all in in the effects and stuff but this guy is is a tyrant i mean he really is he's he's known to be tough but he gets results and his movies are huge Uh, particularly his 90s movies are just massive Mm mm-hmm yeah, definitely. And it's like even kind of like bringing up a lot of these other movies and even like movies like with John McTiernan and everything. It's like they're action movies, but they kind of got like a almost like a comedy action movie in a way. Yeah, there's jokes. You watch yeah. Like, yeah, like Speed is, you know, it's full of jokes, but it's also full of like tense moments. I think uh, him, you know, he took a very strong cue from uh, John McTiernan as far as, uh, you know, insect, you know, inserting a lot of uh, humor into the uh, tense moments to kind of you know, help the audience a little bit, kind of alleviate a little bit of the tension that they're feeling. I I, I agree. And we can talk about that too, because I think that's no better scene than in the way the casting went. But why don't we, uh, why don't we do a little plot summary here on this one, Nick? Uh, This should be pretty easy. Cause I mean, the one thing about Jan DeBont movies is that they're not overly complex. I mean, they kind of are what they are when he's behind the director's chair. And this script took you know, four or five people to put it together. I mean, Michael Crichton and his wife at the time wrote the initial script. Then Joss Whedon and Steve Valian, both, you know, noted Hollywood script doctors were brought in for millions to bump it up and make it, make the dialogue work. So, you know, there are four or five people that wrote this thing as it, it turns out. And it's amazing because the plot is so very simple. At least it is in my opinion. So why don't you tell us what the, uh, the plot of Twister is? Sure. The most powerful storm in decades is approaching Oklahoma. Dr. Joe Harding and her underfunded team of storm trackers prepare to deploy the prototype of their tornado data gathering device, Dorothy. Bill, Joe's estranged husband, along with his new fiance, go to meet Joe to get her to finalize the divorce papers, but end up along for the ride when Bill sees Dorothy and fellow rival storm tracker Jonas chasing the same set of funnel clouds. Several storms hit that day with failed attempts to launch Dorothy. Jonas and his driver are killed. Bill's fiance splits amicably with him after seeing how happy he is with working in the field instead of being behind a desk. And Bill and Joe finally get the last Dorothy to launch as an F5 tornado blows through. Is that a reference to Brock Lesnar? I don't know. <laughs> uh, Joe and Bill are reunited 
and resolve to stay together and start a new lab based on Dorothy's findings. Yeah, I mean, that's really it. I mean, you could talk about the fact that there are seven storm sequences in the, in this film and that everything kind of builds around those storms. The first two or three are are big and then they get bigger. And then we we hear about like the big storm coming, you know, the F5, and, which is it's teased in the opening, too. Uh, but it's all built around storms. It's, it's like a big chase movie in a lot of ways. And I, and I got to say, too, is like. This movie really, I think, kind of put a lot of terminology in the public's eye is before this movie came out, I never heard the weathermen talking about tornadoes in, in size categories, yeah. know, F3s, F4s, F5s. That is so commonplace nowadays. And I really put that on this movie where those became, you know, almost, I wouldn't say catchphrases, but it just became descriptions for tornadoes and i think it really kind of caught on and like you know the weatherman actually started using that a lot more realizing that you know instead of saying you know trying to give diameters of you know tornadoes they could actually start saying f3 f4 f5 and the public knew what they were talking about so i mean above above all else i mean i guess this movie kind of did help educate people a little bit on storms and actually um little tidbit here i'm not sure how familiar you are with universal studios in florida but um I remember being back there when I was a kid and they actually had a twister ride and it wasn't necessarily like a ride ride. It was kind of like a, you're in a sound stage and they had some effects and kind of like what it would feel like to be kind of next to a tornado. And it was also kind of an informational type thing as well. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess yeah, you kind of can laugh at it because it's like, shit, man, I'm on vacation. I don't need to be in a science class, but it was kind of interesting. And they actually had Helen Hunt and uh, Bill Paxton there and, uh, as scary as the ride was, I think Helen Hunt's complexion was a little bit scarier. <laughs> we could we could talk about Helen in a sec, but we've already laid it out that this time the monster or whatever, if you want to call it, that is the the storms and the approaching storms and the, the you know the fact that it takes place on a single day and it's it's all frenetic. I mean, this movie moves like a tornado or like a bad storm blowing through i mean it's it, everything's always moving there's tons of walk and talk there's uh, exposition done at, at 45 miles an hour in a beat-up truck i mean they, they're doing everything on the run here and i i like that though because it when you take a movie that's got a lot of techno babble in it yeah, and it does. And you're right. They introduced a ton of terms to the to the world. I'm convinced, like the world knows what DNA is now today because of the O.J. Simpson trial and Jurassic Park. I mean, nobody talked about those things until that movie came out and that trial, which was all in the same three or four year span. Here we're talking about, and you're exactly right. F five and all those categories. Nobody talked like that. And now the public was educated in a different lingo that you could you could use it. And I love the fact though that like everything they're talking about, like the Dorothy contraption here and stuff, is actually like 1980 technology it had been around for almost 10 or 15 years and they they, i remember seeing a thing on this and they said why are we gonna like talk about stuff that's been around this is old you know and like the the weathermen that were the consultant advisors or whatever on this said this is we've had this for a long time and he said yeah but nobody knows this nobody knows what this is so they'll think it's the craziest thing ever that you would drive something like this into a storm and those guys would be like well yeah you don't you just set it out in the field and hope set a bunch of them out and you hope one of them gets picked up you don't you don't drive that in the middle of something he said ah yeah but we're going to drive you know, so which is uh, you know again that Dutch filmography guerrilla movie making that these all these guys know how to do Verhoeven, him, Rennie Harlan, you know all all those guys and McTiernan did that too. He's an American, but they, they all had that same style. So the first thing that struck me about watching this again was the pace of it and how fast it moves for a movie that's nearly two hours long. Uh, they do the opening shot where it's this huge tornado blows through and it, it kills this man. And we find out that's Joe's dad, you know, so it totally sets up the fact that she's got to face down the F five later, like the shark or something it's supposed to be. And then from then, I mean, it's out, it's out of, it's out of the cannon. I mean, it's a total shot. And I really like the pace of it though. I, I thought that was a great way to introduce a movie that could have really bogged down in the mud with all of its stuff. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the whole beginning of this movie, I mean, the, it's a very tense opening scene with this uh, tornado approaching this family. And yeah, you don't know who this family is. And I remember seeing this in the theater as a kid. Um, and that was like, you know, it was scary. That was always one of the things I was always scared about as a kid or tornadoes, you know, where are they going to appear? They can come here and suck you up. So actually seeing that and seeing this like <clears> – <throat> basically the shelter door get like ripped off. I mean, that was pretty terrifying to me as a kid, you know, and I think more so because this, this, this stuff's real. I mean, it's not oh, like, yeah. you know, 
an alien in outer space or something where it's like, well, I'm not in outer space. That's not going to happen to me or, you know, Godzilla coming through or Jason in the woods or whatever. So it's, I mean, this is real to life and I'm not sure how many tornadoes, uh, your, your neck of the woods gets, yeah. but I think like where I, both the new area I'm at and then the old area, I think we average like between 15 and 20 tornadoes statewide a year. I mean, it's nothing compared to the uh, tornado belt, but it's it's still a kind of a constant concern that you have in the back of your mind anytime these big storms come, especially when it's, you know, coming at you, you know, if you got a tornado coming at you and it's like, what do you do? You know, do you go in the basement? Do you get in your car and try to get the hell out of there? I mean, it's always kind of something that kind of goes through your head a lot. So, but going back to the movie, I mean, just seeing that opening scene when I was a little kid, I mean, that was I guess I'd say pretty disturbing. Oh, no, it, very, it totally very effective, is. Though. It, it drives you in. And the thing with this movie you're talking about, Pace, is it is it's like every 20 minutes there's like another tornado. Again, I don't know how real the life that is, you know, in Oklahoma or Kansas or, you know, within that tornado belt. If there's storms like this where there's just multiple ones like, you know, I, you know every couple hours. But – yeah, I mean, the movie is just relentless in its pace, and I, I like that, that it doesn't really spend too much time, you know, going over expedition where everything's just basically told to you as fast as the tornado's coming down upon them. So, I mean, after we get through the opening scene, then we start, you know, we get, get the introduction of Bill Paxton, and him, he's driving around with uh, the girl from Lost Lost Boys. Well, and, you know uh, where it is that. I know Jamie Gertz from her, you know, her also from her still standing sitcom days, which you know she was she was with uh, Mark Addy, who we know from Game of Thrones fame. Uh, on that, they're both actually really good on that show. But yeah, she's she's forever the the chick from the Lost Boys, right? Here, donning what may be one of the worst Southern accents ever portrayed. I mean, she is she is not from the South. I don't know why they even bothered with that. Like, she's supposed to be this sophisticate anyway, because she's a therapist and she's always on her cell phone and all this stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, why did they just let her talk like she normally talks? Like, Bill Paxton is from Texas. Okay, so he doesn't know how to sound any other way, <laughs> except wouldn't it have been. I mean, I mean, yeah. we know there's there's no one sophisticated from the South. I don't even know why I'm <laughs> to do that. <laughs> you say this now, but I mean, you know, Helen Hunt's from California <laughs> and she sounds like she's from just wherever. She doesn't have a real yeah, she's, accent. She's got that all American accent. She's yeah. had that Midwest accent. Well, that <laughs> classic newscast. Just it's right in the middle of everybody's ear range and stuff. Paxton has that good Texas draw. He's not totally Matthew McConaughey, but he's a little bit of that, you know, and that they, they they have all that, and having Jamie Gertz do that accent is is the worst thing in the film. And I will say that now, it is the worst thing in this movie is her terrible accent, and luckily she's not on screen that much because I want to go back to one thing you said here though about what this movie does and how effective it is at drawing you in. I I think storms are very scary. I mean, where I grew up in the northern part of Alabama, the state that I live in, still it was much more prevalent than it is now. But it was a big deal because we were part of a river valley, so I mean, it was it was always some kind of storm threat coming through this time of year in particular. We're recording this in the spring, and it's it's always something. So that was a constant threat growing up. I mean, I was just aware. I got to ask you: Have you ever seen one? Oh, yes. Several times. Yeah. Several times. I I remember the school drills and then even being in school when ones came through and things like that, which it's a different experience for everybody. I mean, my wife, where she grew up, hurricanes were a big deal. So she's lived through that. And that's a totally foreign experience to me because I I hadn't really lived through one of those and everything. But I've been through several tornadoes and and they can be quite devastating. A lot of people lost their lives to them. It's nothing to joke about, but... And they're still very serious to this day. I mean, that, that, I mean, when you look a couple of years ago, the storms that ripped through the, the Midwest and just, you know, tore places to pieces, that still happens today. So I think the fact that you, when you find things in nature that are sort of primal fears, the pulling them off in film is always very tricky because you, what you don't want to do is, is overplay it or play it for too much laughs or too much action or, you know, you, you downplay the humanity of it. And I think that's why it's genius to start out with this girl that grows up to become a, you know, a, a climatologist basically and a, and a storm scientist. I mean, that's, that's a long time in school and a lot of work to get there. And it stems from her father being ripped away in one of the worst tornadoes ever, you know, and I, I thought that was great though because it gives a film that otherwise all the characters are very two-dimensional it gives her a little bit of humanity so when we see her again later i didn't have anybody have to tell me that that was her you know i I just automatically knew the blonde girl is helen hunt yeah definitely um 
Yeah, I never questioned it at all. I kind of you're able to play on to put two and two together, and of course they have a, the reveal. I think in the uh, second act of the movie where they're kind of like, oh. Has anybody seen an F5? And they're like, oh, one of us have. And they kind of pans, you know, goes to her in the bathroom, you know, washing her face. And it's yeah, when, like, when they're hanging out, when they're hanging out at her aunt's house and stuff like that in between storms. Yeah. yeah so. and, I, and I think, too, I think, you know, kind of getting back on the tornadoes, I think one of the reasons, too, why it's so fearful is they're spontaneous. Yeah. Or something, something like a hurricane is typically you got a week or so to prepare for it. You're able to get out of Dodge and everything or tornadoes. And that's kind of the whole point of the movie is – you only got a couple minutes sometimes and it's, you, you know, you got to make your decision quick on what you're going to do. And that's kind of the whole, I guess you could say MacGuffin of this movie is them trying to learn more about these tornadoes so that they can, you know, better equipped and you know, whatever. And I think that's kind of her whole point though, is that she saw like what these things can do and how it took someone that she loved away from her. And her mission in life is to try to prevent that from happening to other people. And the only way you can do that is really trying to not even, I can't say fight it, fight it with science, but just learn as much as you can about the nature of it and then hope to be able to have a better prevention system in the future. So I can, you know, it's, it's a very realistic goal for her and everything. Absolutely. I mean, they totally call that out, too, that that's why they're doing this, because I mean, I think it's Bill Paxton's fiance who she's really are in into a lot of this stuff. She's the audience in a lot of ways because he's explaining things to her that she doesn't know anything about. You know, what we find out about him is that he was not only married to Joe, but they were partners. So they had gone through grad school together. They had built this team together. He was this legendary. I think they call him, you know, uh, the reckless one or what? No, the, the extreme Mr. Extreme or something like that. So he would just go after the craziest storms. He was Jim Cantore before there was Jim Cantore, I guess. But now he had kind of settled out of that. He and Joe had split. And because she was so focused on work that she, couldn't give him any of the emotional range of a relationship so he's with this other woman now and he's a weatherman you know on tv which like serious storm scientists for a long time and and to an extent to this day i still feel like this being the weather person is sometimes is the like the lowest form of the rung for them. like they just they can't stand that it's one thing to be chief meteorolo- meteorologist at your station and things like that it's another to be the person that just reads the teleprompter you know and and for years that's what the weather people were made up of just good-looking people that could read the lines. They didn't really know what they were talking about, you know, and it, it wasn't until we became fascinated with all the stuff that we started demanding more, but that's his whole struggle here is that, you know, he, he had his kindred spirit clearly is Helen Hunt, you know, in, in mm-hmm. the, in the world, but she can't give him the other things he thinks he needs and wants in life. And, on the other hand, she's so focused, she's losing part of her own life and humanity as part of this. That's the whole arc that they go through is that they are best to be together, but they've got to make some compromises with each other. And that's the, I guess, the rom-com part of this movie. Yeah, definitely. I always took it that, and know, they don't really go into the background about why he left, but I always took it that <clears throat> this was a job for him. But this was a career for her, and he was using it more as like a stemming off point, you know, and then he basically became, you know, the opportunity to be a weatherman came about, and he he took it, and she didn't want to go with him. You know, she had her passion here. This was her calling, and for him, it wasn't his calling at the time. Even though he was, you know, good at what he did, he was able to, you know, lick his finger, put it in the wind to be able to tell when the next tornado is going to come. Why they don't don't just strap Bill Paxton on a truck and drive him around and doing that all the time. I mean, they could do it almost like Mad Max where, you know, you had Tom Hardy in the front of the (laughs) car. I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, they could have just put him around there and just been like doing like on on air. It's a a glorious day for a storm. A glorious day. (laughs) Yeah. So, but, you know, we, we get the whole thing too. And, you know, he, he goes there and his whole point of meeting up with Joe is they're in the midst of a divorce. It's like an amicable divorce and he just needs her to sign a couple finalized papers. You know why that's up to him to get her to sign those. That's usually done at the lawyer, but, um, not that I would know. Um, <laughs> very happily married. Um, but the whole thing is just to get her to sign a couple pieces of paper 
and they're going to be on their way. But of course, when he meets her, he sees that they basically implemented Dorothy, something that I believe that he left when they were in the midst of it, developing it. Was his, it. it was his idea. They dropped that yeah. in there. that It was his baby, and he walked away from it to let her continue it, and then they actually got it to work. It would be like if Doc Brown came back years later and somebody had taken the flux capacitor to the next level. You know, it was his it was his thing. And it's the MacGuffin of the movie is this contraption, which, as I said earlier, was is you know almost 15 years old, the technology of it. But I love that they they give that they give their entire relationship a physical embodiment with that thing, because that was what kept him around. And then he decided, no, it's not even that important to him. He walked away from it. But when he sees it, you see the, like the way his face lights up. Bill Paxton is so good at acting with his face. And oh, Bill, Bill Paxton yeah. is great. He's, he's yeah. a very, I think, underrated actor. I'm surprised that he is not in as many roles as he is. I mean, he's obviously we've, we've talked about him quite a bit on this show, being in many movies and everything, but with his character too is I'm actually surprised they didn't go kind of the easy route with his uh, fiance and actually having her be, you know, may- maybe an anchor herself and being like, you know, maybe she was the reason why he left was that, you know, maybe he had an affair with her or maybe she kind of seduced him into it. I, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I honestly, I had forgotten what she was in this movie. So I thought that's what she was. I was like, Oh, she's the, the newspaper on the desk yep. or whatever. Well, I think she's actually, she's a doctor though. Yeah. She's a, she's a psychiatrist because she's constantly getting calls from her. She's, she's a relationship or a, uh, a birth psychologist or something like that. Some really random thing. Cause she's talking this woman and this man through like conception and, uh, you know, giving a, having a kid and all this stuff. And I was like, I don't, it's, it's it's all played for laughs, you know, at the idea that, well, yes, you would wind up with a therapist, Bill, because you need one, you know, and all that stuff. And I, I thought that was funny, the way that they played it off. Uh, poor yeah, Jamie Gertz gets nothing to do in this movie, though, except to stand around and ask questions for the audience. So she, her character is strictly there. To that, so we have somebody on set that we can bother explaining all of this to. Yeah, she's she's basically the stand-in for the audience, but man, her hair is terrible in this movie. She does oh, it not is look, no. I mean, she's she, she's she's beautiful, she's a beautiful but, woman, but long hair yeah, is her thing. Yes, definitely. That's what I always go back to is like the Lost Boys with like that hippie look and everything. It's like that. Well, that's yeah, but look, he, you know even like I mean? on Still Standing and other. She always had that long hair and stuff, even on like Still Standing. I attribute that Nick to the fact that uh, Helen Hunt's got kind of long hair, and they didn't want two long-haired women. You know, uh, it was it, it, it was it was there. the mid '90s. It was kind of that that was the in thing. I mean, so many women, yeah, had, you know, the very short haircut because it was like shoulders. Well, you, break you either had that woman, yeah, you either had that or you had the Rachel from Friends, which is pretty much what Helen Hunt has. So you know, she, it, you know she it, it's that. it's better than the bitch. I hate the bitch haircut. That's where it's long in front and then it goes up short in the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, we don't have that going on. So uh, thankfully, but no, I mean, yeah, she. I mean, she's she's got it, uh, this movie is dated a bit in its dress and stuff. I, I don't think you can't not notice that, and it's tech because I mean, she's got a cell phone, but nobody else does. You know, they, they all have CB radios and they're and they're talking. I mean, that that makes sense. They do use computer tech. Technology. Did you check out that laptop, that Apple IIe or whatever that they had? I mean, that thing, if it was calculating data, it would take it a that's what, uh, that's what we're podcasting on right now. <laughs> it would take it a year to, uh, to calculate any of that data, which I thought was funny. But I think the other thing about this film that works so well is, and these films have to have this, you have to have an interesting supporting cast. You have to have other people around. I mean, in Die Hard, it was all the terrorists, you know, and the few survivors that we knew and the cops on the ground. In Speed, it was, it was all the other you know SWAT guys you know uh, hanging out well, with, people, with the, Keanu. the people on the bus it's like yeah and the people on the bus you have the people on the here it's it's the storm team you know and they're gonna have a rival we'll talk about Carrie Owens in but a they, second they, but they come off real though and that's oh they do like yeah this is because you know you could sit there and say you know they're one or two note characters but they're so freaking like, bizarre you can just tell they're very like unwashed they, you know they're, well they, they're they come probably, off they come off real because they have people who know how to play this. Philip Seymour Hoffman, this is an early role for him, but a fantastic actor can totally morph into anything or could totally morph into anything. Alan Ruck, you talk about an underrated comedic actor. I mean, you go back and watch Ferris Bueller, that performance is fantastic. 
I and mean, he say, was in speed. He was in speed as well. He was in speed as well. That's right. He was on the bus. So I, I mean, that guy always gives that that performance. He's great. Jeremy Davies. I think most people probably know him from Saving Private Ryan as Oppum, but he's always good and stuff. You you, you have to. And then who's t- who's the one guy who was? I oh got. I think he's played like a serial killer or something before. He's got that like weird looking like Steve Buscemi face. Oh yeah. Um, I I can't remember which one that is. There's like there's a ton of these people. That's the thing. So I mean, there's like a billion of them. Jake. Busey's in this thing for like five seconds. I mean, you know, you got you got all these people, and then you juxtapose them against Carrie Elways, who is like the ultimate '90s bad guy. Like if William Zag- Zabka was the '80s douchebag, you know, in in movies, then Carrie Elways was the guy you put opposite of other people that you wanted to to put over. He was like the best heel that you could get. I mean, he was a total heel in all the Hot Shots movies. He was a heel in Days of Thunder, where he essentially is just playing Val Kilmer light in a race car. You know, he's, he's and, a and heel re- in that. But you got to remember, though, he was the only Robin Hood in the 90s to have a British accent. This is true, because he's actually from there. <laughs> so <laughs> amazingly. But and he's a great comedic actor, too. You know, I mean, that's that's the thing that makes him so fun is that he actually has good comedy timing and he totally plays this like a ham. And it's so funny to me to hear them talk about, yeah, Jonas sold out. He's got all kinds of corporate sponsors. And this movie is just littered with Pepsi, like everywhere. Like, I think at one time, Dorothy, like, looks like a Pepsi machine. I mean, this is it's so hilarious that, like, the bad guy is the sellout scientist. But this whole movie is funded by Frito Pepsi. I mean, if it wasn't for that, it probably wouldn't get made. <laughs> funded by the pro- product that makes everybody too fat to run away from <laughs> <laughs> well you know look pepsi has always done this pepsi was all over alien three we talked about that when it happened you know i mean that they're well, they're known pe- to do stuff so like this pe- pe- so. pepsi was kind of the uh the in drink in the 90s i w- i've always been a coke guy i think Pepsi's disgusting but pepsi was the big soda in the 90s i mean man they were just it was everywhere. Pepsi. I remember people wearing like Pepsi shirts. They used to have the uh, the Pepsi points. Remember those? Where yes, yes. You collect the you know you collect the caps off the uh, twenty ounces, and then they correlate the points, and then you can order stuff from their catalog, like more Pepsi gear. I mean, Pepsi in like the mid to late nineties was, you know, because that's when I was in middle school. It was almost akin to something like nike as far as it was, it was everywhere just like it was the thing to have to do it was like that's what all the cool kids drank you know that was you know what everybody did it was just pepsi was everywhere no it, it was just, and they were always trying something different crystal pepsi all that kind of stuff right and this it was kind of, it, it, pe- pe- yeah. and pepsi was it was kind of the uh it was the youth thing for them it was it was the hip drink i mean that was the thing it was it, it tried it was cool you know they realized we're never going to, if we're ever going to catch Coke, we're going to have to get a different base. Kind of like what Bernie Sanders is trying to do now, running for president. You got to get the youth involved. Problem is, youth only buys so much and they don't vote. So, you know, we'll see how that works. But I mean, really, that, that's what they, they've got going on here. But I, I do like, though, that Carrie always is a complete, like, one dimensional bad guy jerk. He gets like five lines in the whole movie, you know? And you just hate him because he just he comes off like such a douche and a sleaze, right? But that's exactly who he is. I mean, he's I mean not not as a person, but as a character actor, he plays that so well. So I totally buy it uh, with him doing that. I I totally buy it every time. Like it just it it's funny to me how again how he's set up as just the the bad guy as the bad scientist. Yeah, he he totally comes off an arrogant jerk. I mean, he kind of reminds me of um, again, if you want to like equate these to like older movies, like he would be the uh, the jerk, you know, um, high school guy in one of those like skiing or beach movies. Like he's just like the guy you want to punch. He comes off as like the the douchebag quarterback for the rival team. He's just, and it turns out I guess he used to be a part of their group, and that he ended up taking that technology and basically, you know getting, like you said, corporate sponsorship, but it seems like Joe has some type of good relationship with them where even though they're rivals, they still are working together. Did you catch that? 
I got that she probably was the thing that was in the middle of the, those two all the time. These two alpha male ego scientists trying to break through with this technology. And then, you know, at the same time, Bill left and he left. And so she got to be in charge, which is the really how it should have been all along anyway, because we find out she's the smartest one of them. But I got the sense that Joe would have played referee between the two of them to try to get them to get along. Because as we'll find out, you know, Carrie always is not bad at what he does. He makes a, fatal error you know and and he gets killed for it in the storm along with his driver but he's not a bad guy per se i felt bad for that driver but we'll, we'll talk about that when that happens oh yeah the the bean coming oh gosh yeah we'll, we'll get to that in a minute so but let's talk some about the storms here i mean I don't, we don't need to go through all of them at once you know or I mean, at, does, it, singly. does this go in the category of f you know like is the first yeah. tornado that we get like an f2 they talk about that they it's talk like, about so that around like, that dinner table scene that's the thing they they spend all that dinner table scene talking about the fact that the, you know that was an f2 and f3 that's nothing and again they're telling all this to jamie gertz because she needs to know this like we need to know this and they're informing her on this and they talk about oh yeah it can get really bad and then you know paxton lays out his knowledge about f4s and then they drop the infamous f5 and everybody goes "Ooh," you know there's the hush in the room and we know that that's helen hunt um and by the way i just want to i, I have another gripe with this movie i know it's a pg-13 movie all right but helen hunt at the time was an object of desire we get a shower shot and we don't even get like a blurry through the screen Come on, Jan. Come on, man. You're killing me here. But anyway, just I wanted to digress just, for a minute about that. I'm, 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 <laughs> picturing fam, I'm picturing Family Guy right now. <laughs> Peter Griffin's at the bar and Helen Hunt's like, you want to go back up to the room? And he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I think That's you're, what I'm you're, thinking about you right now, Jim. Like, no, I, no, no, I can, no. I can only imagine that that cutaway has probably been done. <laughs> I mean, at some point, that probably has happened somewhere along the way. But to, to not digress any further there, all of that is done, again, in the scene where they're around the dinner table and they have to talk to her about, you know, this is what I want or, or this is what this means and this is what this does. And so they come up with this or they tell us about the scale the f5 scale and who invented it and what that means and how this is going to have to work and i thought i thought that was smart i mean to inform the audience like that was wise because it it gives us a a, a level playing field to be on with the scientists right like it, yeah. it it gives us a way to understand what they're talking about because what happens is jamie gertz's character is going to be gone soon she's going to leave at the end of the second act and just be with it we're just going to be with uh bill paxton and the scientists that were really just bill paxton and helen hunt at that point and we're going to have to be able to keep up on our own so they're mm -hmm. the pretest around the old table here well let's let's go over each of the tornadoes or right? let's go over like the first uh two tornadoes that we see uh the first one is in the field where essentially they have um dorothy strapped to you know, a truck and they, they leave it in the field. They're basically almost like a, like, like a retention Creek or something like that between yeah. the, uh, between the field and the road and the, the tornadoes on this path coming right at them. And they, they drop Dorothy off. And of course it falls over. It doesn't open. I, I don't know how tornadoes can just <laughs> sucks. It sucks everything up, but it keeps on knocking these things over. <laughs> and, uh, they end up, uh, you know, the age old thing about, you know, if you're, oh, if you can't get into a basement, get underneath a bridge. And that's what they end up doing is they find like a little wooden bridge and they crash the truck, you know, underneath it. Of course, yeah. it's like, you know, the, the bridge is like the perfect height and uh, they get underneath it and the tornado goes by them and everything. So, I mean, I, I thought, you know, it was a pretty good starter scene for it. I mean, it's like you almost got this sidewinder type tornado where you can get the, you know, whole scope of it. It's not just, not one of these massive, mild, wide ones, but, um, I thought tornado actually looked pretty good. It looked, uh, I mean, I thought even like today, it actually holds up pretty well for this first tornado. Oh no. Look, all of the effects in this movie, all of the effects hold up incredibly well. They look really good. Like they spent a lot of money on these effects and it's a good thing because the movie would suffer and date badly. Like a good example. I've already brought it up. Jurassic park. Some of that still looks okay, but there's some of it that does not. I mean, it looks really bad. Like it, your CGI just doesn't date well, particularly when it's on animals or people and things like that. But in this case, like structures and the way the storm looks, I, I think it looks incredible. Like it, it is well 
preserved. Well, I, I, I think say it. I think for the fact that it's a tornado and they have a real life thing to base it off of is probably a little bit that does easier help. for the animators <laughs> compared to trying to guess what a 65 million year old dinosaur looks like. This is true. This is true. They do, they do have something they can look at. But again, at this time, you know, we we knew things about storms and tornadoes but we didn't know a ton about them so we we really had we were learning about them as it went on i mean that was that was important uh for for moving knowledge forward i think the fact that this visualized stuff that hadn't had a visual up to this point i i thought that was smart i i really did i enjoyed the way it was it was portrayed in the way they went together and i like how each tornado gets a little more dangerous than the last one right like each one of them becomes just a little bit more of a problem well, i think i think it honestly goes f2 f3 f4 f5 as far as the tornadoes I think right. they run into and that's actually the second tornado they run into is that uh f3 tornado and of course we get a little bit of a different t- style of tornado because this is one they're chasing and it's on a lake and it ends up doing a, I think, believe there's, wa- is it water spouts that are out there? Yeah. That it's forming and everything. And this is where, of course, we get the uh, the cow scene. And, of course, it's interjected with uh, Jamie Gertz on the phone with her, uh, you know, people in labor. <laughs> She's like, we got cows and stuff. And it, it's it's a funny scene. It's, at, it's <laughs> that- adding a little bit of comedy into there. But when you actually think about like the real life, it's like, man, that poor cow. <laughs> I know. Well, you know what? That cow scene, though, I remembered that from the trailers. I, if I had, and from watching this movie before, I had remembered very little about how the plot went and stuff. But I remembered that cow because it got reused so many different times. So many, and apparently that cow effect. This is just a little random piece of trivia. Was one of the zebras in Jumanji, and they just sort of repurposed it as a cow. So they, I mean, it was halfway built. So they, you know, again, they're smart about how they're using their their effects. They're just recycling these animals here and there. But I, and I thought that was smart. I mean, again, the, I thought they they did a good job of the way they played those things because that stuff happens. That's the scary part about tornadoes is that kind of stuff happens and and it can really freak you out and just be. I mean, you can imagine Nick. I mean, driving down the road and here comes a cow. You know, and that that's not something you see every day or want to for a good reason. So I, I thought it was good. I mean, it, it again, it, it, there's laughs going on because you've got the whole thing with her client on the phone and stuff. And you've got all the banter between the, the people in the, the trucks and the vans. But there's also real tension happening because there's real destruction going on around. Yeah, definitely. And a- after the second tornado scene, of course, this is where we get kind of the emotional i guess character development part about this and again this movie's the characterizations aren't exactly the strongest part about this movie oh, no. but event apparently bill paxton's character he basically re you know admits to joe and in, in a way that he's still in love with her and you know telling her like you know because i guess you know she's out there and she's being reckless and everything and like really not caring about her safety or essentially her life and He's just like, what are you doing, Joe? You don't see what you have in front of you. And she's like, what are you trying to get at? And he's like, me, Joe. And he's doing it, of course, like within an earshot of his fiance. And I'm thinking, I'm like, dude, man, not cool. (laughs) Not Not at all. Yeah. Let's talk about their breakup for a minute, because we do need to get to that point here, because this is a good time to do it. After all these storms, everything she's seen, that's like the most amicable breakup I've ever seen in, in an action movie. Like she's not mad or anything. She's I just think, like, you know, I, I think she's, you need to go happens. do what you do. I need to go do what I do. You know that I, I thought that was pretty impressive. Did this happen before the third tornado or after? After. It was it was after the, because this is after night. Yeah, because the next big yeah. thing is the F five coming. Yeah, yeah. Because then we'll, we'll, even before that, then we get the F four tornado where uh, they're all watching The Shining <laughs> on the uh, on a uh, drive-in. Man, remember drive-ins? Um, <laughs> yeah, drive-ins were great. I missed those. But uh, yeah, the, uh, the F four tornado comes through and tears apart the screen, and they all take shelter within this big building and. I think what happens is she's had enough and I don't think it's necessarily, I think, you know, it's, it's just a combination of things with her. I think she's pretty amicable about breaking up because I think she's had enough with her safety. I think she's just like, I can't deal with this anymore. I can't deal with you anymore. And I think just all this kind of like came ahead for her where she was just like, no, I'm done. I'm done. I mean, it's kind of like 
someone who's, you know, basically had a job for so long and dealing with all this unneeded stress and just tired of, and just eventually like, you know what, I'm done. I'm done. I'm walking away from this. I think that's kind of what was going through her head at the time where it was just so many circumstances hitting her at once where she's like, Nope, I'm done. I'm out of here. And it's a, yeah, I mean, they don't dwell on it as well as they shouldn't dwell on it. No one's coming here to watch, you know, sleepless in Oklahoma. You know, it's all <laughs> no. just, you know, we're here for tornadoes. So I'm, I'm glad they got her out of there and just didn't like end up killing her off or something. Cause that, I think that would have been, you know, not necessary. So, but you, you had to get her out of the picture. I mean, basically I think everybody in the, everybody watching the movie were like, yeah, well, we'll root for those two together. Yeah. They should get together. You know, I don't think necessarily something that, is the big strong point of the movie with them getting back together. But I think it's something where it's like, yeah, these two people belong with each other. And basically that's what happens. But after they do break up is they find out that that tornado hit the small town where they were earlier at the movie. And the old lady, I, I don't know what her relation is with. She's, she is Joe's aunt who we, who we understand was part of raising her after her dad died. Okay. So yeah, they go back there to go find the ant because that tornado ended up hitting that town and essentially her house got hit. I think like half the house is torn down or something and she's injured and uh, I guess it's personal now even more. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, we had to make it even more personal. That that felt a little I don't know, over stepping for me just a little bit because again, Joe's got enough motivation as it is. You know, I think I think they wanted to show some destruction, though, as far as what happens to a community as a far because everything that we've seen so far, I mean, OK, we see the movie theater get destroyed, but everything else has been kind of in isolated areas, the cornfield out by out by the lake where you're not really seeing any type of residential damage. But I think they the reason that they did that was they wanted to kind of hit again with the audience that like the stuff doesn't just happen out in, you know, the the cornfields and doesn't happen just the farmers. It happens to, you know, normal people live in their lives. So I think that's why they interjected that. And that's why they had this ant involved because there'd be no reason for them to go to a town that got hit. If there was no one there that they knew. No, ex exactly. That that's exactly the point. It, we had to have some reason to tie us there or whatever. But again, I, I felt like we had, we had done that enough, but you're making a good point as to why they, they go to it, but it's all setting up for the big showdown. I mean, the, yeah, the, the they, infamous F five. Yeah. Yeah. Because then they are turning into the news and basically it's like some massive, you know, formations coming and could be an F five and everything. And that's when they all decide to go out and they got one Dorothy left. Cause at this point right now, they went through four of the Dorothy's they're destroyed, whatever. And, Essentially, they're on their way to this massive storm buildup with the hopes that there's going to be a, you know, a massive tornado. And of course, in the back of the truck, they're, um, um, they're redesigning Dorothy's little pods. Cause I don't think we really explained what Dorothy is. It's essentially like a big giant pod and the tops open up and inside are these little balls. And these little balls got almost like little transponders. That's exactly that what they go, are. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so when they go around in the tornado, they're giving back information, you know, wind speed, circulation, stuff like that back to their computer to be able to kind of you know, formulate like the inside of what a tornado is doing and everything like that. So up into this point, these little balls have not been able to actually come out of Dorothy. And after the tornado hit that town, Bill Paxson gets an idea because he sees some kind of uh, spinning things that uh, Joe's aunt had out there. Yeah, it's it's a wind, wind. it's a wind. Yeah, it's it's a yeah. it's just a wind terror, but it, it turns in opposite directions. If you know anything about mm -hmm. how helicopters work, like big helicopters have sets of blades that turn in opposite directions. That's how they're able to to get lift and speed and all that kind of stuff. And that's the problem they've had with Dorothy is that it spins in one direction, but they just spin out into nothing, and they can't yep. get it to actually go up high enough. So he gets the genius idea of like, give me a bunch of tin cans, and that's how we're going to redo Dorothy. It's exactly how it's going to look. How do they get that many? <laughs> Thin cans that quick. that's what i wanted to know again that's one of those you're just got to give it to them and you know that i mean that's conservative it. Yeah. estimate there's got to be 500 of those little balls within there easy so, yeah yeah and then even though because what they do is they end up you know like, like you said with the um they're basically making little tin propellers that they're gonna you know tie onto the top of these uh balls mm -hmm. and they have enough time to be able to collect these cans cut the cans apart, <laughs> formulate them into propellers, 
and then take each individual ball out of Dorothy. You know, there are a bunch of these guys. Put them back in there. <laughs> There's a bunch so, of these dudes. I mean, I guess that was that was what I took it as. There's just a bunch of these guys. So you know, so that's well, they what must they, be the world's best. Uh, they must <laughs> the world's best scrapbookers. <laughs> <So> <laughs> they were able to cut that stuff apart quick, but yeah. eventually they end up. You know, they get this done. They get it in there, and essentially the idea is. Bill Paxson's character says, you know, like the other thing is that Dorothy's too light, that basically the wind from the tornado before actually the tornado picks it up is just going to knock it over. So they end up strapping it. The whole whole kind of thing, the whole kind of running joke in here is that this crew that he was with, they have all these old beat down RVs and beat down truck and Bill Paxson has a, has a brand new truck. And the whole movie ends up getting kind of banged up and smashed and everything. And I think eventually he just realized that the thing's going to be totaled anyway. So they decide to strap Dorothy to the bed of the truck. And then they actually use the truck as a weight and drive it into the tornado. So, and then they jump out of it in the middle of the cornfield. Yeah. That's, that's their great idea is ultimately we're going to sacrifice the, but that's bill sacrificing that new life that he's built to go back to his old one. Cause all of Joe's equipment is beat up and all that stuff. Exactly. But look, they're going to beat you over the head with this stuff. That's exactly what the, the point of it is, is that he's got to, he's already given up the girl and, and that's fine. But now he's got to give up the possession. He's got to go back to being a scratching for everything he's got working class scientist again and that's the whole good thing good thing he didn't keep jamie gertz in there (laughs) decided to get rid of his entire life (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know (laughs) though she probably had enough hairspray to keep her to the ground yeah but but even before this happens though of course we got to have the uh the bad guy get his comeuppance and as they're you know have this, you know, Dorothy strapped to the truck and they're driving off to the storm. Uh, Kiri Ooze's character and his driver are ahead of them. And essentially they're driving alongside of the, this big F5 tornado. And, you know, Superman Bill Paxson is able to just like look at the wind and the formation of it. And he's like, tornado's going to shift. It's going to shift. It's going to change directions and go right at you. And of course it does. But before even the car gets picked up, it looks like some type of like cell tower or something like that, or some type of beam ends up going right through the driver. I mean, yes, right through his head. Yeah. Exploding his body probably before the whole truck is picked up in the air and then it explodes. (laughs) I guess, you know, just, you know, getting picked up in the air and getting slammed down wasn't enough. It had to explode. I don't know how it explode exploded. Usually, some type of flame has to be involved within the gas tank to do that, but it blew up. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, 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 their truck gets sucked up and it gets blown to bits. And look, next to you know Helen Hunt's dad, that's the only; those are the only other deaths in this film. And yeah. I was like, wow, you know, that's that's kind of amazing when you think about it that there were no more deaths in the film besides that. And I almost wondered, did would. Did they need to die? Because I would have been fine if they had just like been thrown off to the side and trashed, but they lived. Like I don't know that I needed the bad yeah. scientist to die. I mean, they they could a lot, you know. Basically, their sponsors could have switched over to you know Joe and Bill Paxton's characters at the end or something, and left them financially you know broken or something. I mean, they could have done it another way. I don't mind that he died. I mean, the bad guys always got to die and whatever. So. Anyway, so they end up driving the truck then into the F5, and then, of course, it all works according to plan, and they're, they're hearing from their guys, like, it's working, and we're, oh, my God, we're getting data, oh, my God, and all suddenly, the tornado shifts again, and it's coming right at them. Now, up until this point in the movie, I mean, okay, the, you know, it's, it's heightened reality up until this point, and, but as soon as that tornado shifts, we get we go right into crazy town with them as far as them trying to escape. I mean, this tornado is going into like a, like a farming equipment store and they're jumping under blades that are coming. It, it is the smartest storm like ever. It's not, not only is the F5 the biggest storm, but it's got a brain. And, yeah. and that to me, I, I would just it, sit there going like this storm is way too smart for its own good. It, it might as well started talking at this point. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm surprised it didn't roar like a sound at them. Like I, at one point, I thought it almost did, and I was like, I think it's just funny that yeah, that these that these two people are running. You know, they probably average about 140 pounds, and the tornado's not picking them up, but it's picking up like 10 ton farm equipment ahead of them and then bringing it towards them and they're able to dodge it and then you know they're still running away they're able to they're outrunning the storm pretty good at this point they end up getting into a farm and this farm house is not good because it's just full of machetes and of course you get bill packs and he's like what kind of people are these when they got because it's all just full of like scythes and machetes and all this like weird type of like I'm not oh look! It, it's shit. it's like it's like a serial killer's farm. It's like a Jason yeah. farm all of a sudden. Yeah. And I think they just wanted the idea of like we're going to throw every sharp object by you. Which to me that was ridiculous. What's scary about a tornado is that it can take things you don't think are dangerous and make them. I've seen a tornado take hay and drive it through trees deep into like oak trees and stuff. That's what's scary is that kind of situation, not a saw blade whizzing by me at 200 miles an hour. Yep. But after they go through the first barn, then they go up to the second barn and it's pretty much an empty barn, but it has like a pipe in the middle. And Bill Paxson's great idea is like, we, we cannot run this anymore. Like we got to, I know that these pipes go 60 feet below ground. How he knows that, I don't know, but he's able to just decipher that out. And then they end up taking uh, leather straps and strapping themselves into the pipe as the tornado hits them. And somehow they're able to survive. Well, it's it's like those those are the things you tie the horses up to, and they just hold on to them, and it, like they don't lose any clothing in this process. That's the thing that blew me away too. I was like, you guys like survived this amazingly. Like you you didn't lose any, of, you know, like it would have ripped everything off of them. I thought because it took every other shingle in town and threw it by them. But no, you know, we, we, today, you know, we can't do today, that. Today, today I was at the gym and being on the elliptical, my pants are falling off when I'm. <laughs> <laughs> how they're able to do that without losing any clothes or their shoes i mean come on your shoes don't even come off but let alone that that strap doesn't even break with them on it i mean it is kind of eye-rolling that they're in, and then of course they see like the center of the tornado and everything like that and i mean whoever whoever installed that pipe i mean they need to be like on like in NASA or something. I, I want to know where that. The, thing, I want to know where they got that concrete from. I want to know where they got that concrete from because that was fantastic. I mean, it did its job. That's for darn sure. So, yeah. well, Nick, but I of think course, yeah. The, the the tornado ends, and then you know they're there and they hug and everything, and then you know they kind of pull back. You know, as the movie's ending, and of course, you know, it's uh you see like there's one house standing, like the tornado skirted by one house. And it kind of goes back to what uh, Helen Hunt was saying in the you know beginning of the movie or in the middle of the movie when she's talking about how her family got hit is that, you know, it may hit your house, but not the house next to you. So it's kind of just showing like the chaos of a tornado and everything. But yeah, I mean, that's the end of the movie. They got their information. They got back together. They're probably going to be funded and everybody's happy. Minus Jamie Gertz and uh, Carrie Hughes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the, besides the people that died. So, but yeah, no, uh, you know, they, they decide, no, I'm going to run the lab. You run the lab. They had the, the end cute with them doing that. And I, I guess that's how it has to end, right? Like they didn't have any other choice to do it any other way, but I, I, it was cute. Uh, again, it was, I think it's what we want, right? As an audience, like you want those two to be together so this is the way we get them together and it's it's, it's essentially the the same ending that speed had exactly yeah and you know as we know relationships built on you know difficult circumstances don't don't last long but these two i guess have weathered the storm uh metaphorically so we'll, we'll see i guess they made it you know and uh, you know no sequel though and, and nowadays you think i mean they would be rolling sequels out to this thing but no they never went back to it it was a a one-shot deal and then that was it so uh, twist twister two the revenge <laughs> the, the, the retwistening so nick i think we're at the point of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts recommendations popcorn ratings what are yours for twister uh that's actually a hard question i'm kind of teetering between a medium and large popcorn i think i'm just gonna have to go with a large on this i do enjoy this movie it's one of these movies that it's on tv all the time i mean every other weekend on tbs twister's gonna be on it or tnt it's it's uh, freaking Turner loves Twister. It's always on one of those two channels. And every time it's on, you know what? I throw it on. 
you know, it's not like I'm not going to sit there and pay attention to it. But again, it's, it's a good background movie and one where even if I had to sit there and just like actually concentrate on the movie, I'm not going to regret doing so. Is it stupid? Yeah, it's, it's stupid, but it's stupid almost as equally as it is smart. So I guess in the end, it's average. I don't know. Like it's <laughs> as far as the intelligence goes in this movie, but, um, the characters are very likable. I like everybody in this movie. Everybody, I think, was uh, the cast was good. They play it off good. The special effects are good, and it's such a fast, uh, fast paced movie that, again, it's just one of these movies. It's almost like it does remind me of like Speed, or it reminds me of Die Hard, where it's just there's there's no there's no lag in this movie at all. It just comes at you one after the other, after the other, after the other, and it just leaves you kind of having a good time. So yeah, I'll go with a large popcorn on this. I'll say this about this movie. If you apply too much thought to it, or if you know a lot more about the weather than the, the average bear, you're probably going to pick it apart and just get real frustrated with it. But if you'll just sort of set the old brain aside and just go in realizing I'm here for a popcorn movie about two people who are supposed to be in love around a bunch of tornadoes and just sort of take that for what it is, you can enjoy this. I, I think you really can. This movie is highly enjoyable. It's a ton of fun. The action's great. The side characters are, are just as interesting as our leads. And I think we didn't talk about it enough, but the thing about Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton that make them work as actors in this kind of movie is they can be leading people, but they're really just sort of every people. And that's why, that's why they're fun to sort of have in there and they just do their thing and they don't overpower the screen and they're not, you're chewing up the scenery and all that stuff. They're very likable and palatable. Like you can, you can take them and swallow them down and it's not going to, choke you too bad and to me that's what makes them work so well because you can see them together you can see their chemistry you can see yeah these these people i could see how they would end up together and so i don't know i i enjoyed this film a lot more than i had remembered i'm surprised i haven't watched it more often and going back to it this time made me realize, hey, this is sort of a lost, forgotten one in my pile. I need to put this one in the rotation again. It's a it's a good one. It's a good large popcorn. Again, it is a straight popcorn movie. And if it had been in the hands of anyone else who was less talented than Jan DeBont at pulling off these kind of things, it could have been really bad and it could have been Sharknado. You know, it could have been that cheesy. But it's in capable hands, both on the screen and behind the screen. I think that saves this movie a lot of trouble. And so, yeah, it's a large popcorn. It's a fun one. And I see why it, you know, it made $490 million. And nowadays, I mean, that would be, that would be, you know, eight or 900 million. I mean, that movie would be just as huge. And I think it's good. And I'll say this too, you know, Hollywood likes remakes on everything. I wouldn't mind seeing another crack at this, knowing what we know now. I mean, do you think they could do it again? I think they could do a pretty good run at, uh, Add another twister somewhere along the lines. I don't know. Maybe turn it. I mean, movies are being turned into TV shows. Maybe just have the twister hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all, we have that really already. I mean, that, that is on the, uh, the, the weather channel and all that stuff. So maybe that's why they haven't done it because it, it became something somewhere else. But, but I, I think, I think though, I mean, I don't think we are going to ever get like a remake of this because reality TV, I mean, you watch the weather channel, you watch, TLC you watch discovery is this is kind of still a phenomenon, but now they're not doing it as a movie. They're actually doing it as real life stuff. I mean, you got shows like ice truckers, you got shows like deadliest catch. Um, I mean, you got these all over where it's just people fighting the elements. And I think just because we've gotten a little bit more crazy with our entertainment, as far as what we're willing to put cameras on and send camera crews out there to document that, I don't even know if there's really a need for it anymore because we were getting it every day. I mean, just put on the weather channel at 11 o'clock at night and you're going to get basically storm chasers. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, and a lot of the stuff too is you're going to get the actual personal dynamics within stuff. I mean, you watch a show like Deadliest Catch and half of the show is about, you know, a bunch of alpha males trying to one-up each other on there. So I don't know if they would remake it because we get this in so many different shows right now. That's an excellent point. I, it, maybe that's why we haven't seen it remade because it did spawn all of this interest elsewhere and good for it. I mean, I think that it shows some of the lasting appeal of this movie and, and what it, uh, what it brought to the table. I think this one's a good one and it's fun. We both have said that about it, that we had a lot of fun with it and seemed to really enjoy ourselves. And I'm, I'm curious to see. 
um, if it still holds up with our audience too, because both of us seem to really like it and think it holds up. But I'd love to hear from people out there that are seeing it, maybe for the first time or you know, aren't as familiar with it. Did it hold? You know, does it hold up for you? Do you like the way it looks, or is it does it take it out uh, out of the movie for you when you see some of the effects? Or whatever. It'd be interesting to hear what people think about it because there's certainly some room for improvement out there. I, I don't think it's perfect in in any way, but it's a it's a good passable movie and a lot of fun. So I'm glad we got to talk about it. Here. Here. And we get one more episode in our, you know, science or nature gone awry. I, mean, I don't know what we're going to call it. Nature's a bitch, even though <laughs> that what you called this earlier today. No, so, science is a bitch. <laughs> science is. Well, we're going we're to cut non-scientific next time, man. We're gonna we're gonna hang out with some firemen. Uh, we're gonna do backdraft, the Ron Howard uh, flick from the '90s with Kurt Russell and. Uh, one of the Baldwin brothers, like it's uh, William Baldwin and. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, there's a bunch of people in this, so we, we'll get to that next time. But I haven't seen that one in a long time either, but I do have fond memories of it, so I'm, I'm hoping it will hold up. We'll find out next time on the show for sure. But uh, I'm, I have hopes that uh, this one can be, can be as good as I remember it being. Do you, have you ever seen Backdraft before? It's been a long time since I've seen Backdraft. All I seem to remember is... Kurt Russell, uh, one of the Baldwin brothers, um, some guy Rebecca Demorday's in it. Yes, yeah, yeah. some guy who can't put on his fire jacket correctly, and <laughs> essentially, um, fire that is almost alive, <laughs> as far as how it acts. But that's that's all I kind of remember from that movie. But it's a movie I've actually wanted to revisit, and yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. And so we'll, we'll get to that one next time here. Of course, folks, you can always find episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. You can go there and find all of our previous retrospectives or our one-off series. And you can find links to our social media. Hook up with us on Facebook, Twitter. Let us know what you think. And if you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. Till next time, for Nick, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.